Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And uh, happy last day of the year to the rest of you. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles uh, this morning and turn to Acts chapter 20. We're back at, uh, in the book of Acts. <clears throat> and it's interesting how, at least how God used it in my mind, um, seeing how it plays out. But <clears throat> last week as we had a Christmas message, a time of who will be Jesus? And remember that little story I told about Kevin and Ryan, the two boys that mom was preparing pancakes for. And <laughs> she said, well, Jesus, if he was here, he would say, you know, they were fighting over who was going to get the first pancake. And Kevin was five and Ryan was three. And uh, every mother is smiling because <laughs> if you've ever made pancakes, who gets the first one? I'm the hungriest, I'm the oldest, I'm the whateverest, right? <laughs> And uh, so the mother took an opportunity to say, boys, if Jesus was here right now, he would say, just give it to my brother. I'll just wait. Kevin, <laughs> the five-year-old, says to Ryan, you'll be Jesus. <laughs> There's a lot of people today that are pointing fingers and saying, you be Jesus. And we ended last week by saying, will we be Jesus? Will we be Jesus? Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it uh, from Acts chapter 20. We'll read verses 1 through 17. There's, there's, it's just a narrative. Um, it's almost like you read it and you say, okay, what's in that for us? What, what is there? I mean, it's a fast-moving, it's amazing. As we pull the map up, we'll be looking at things that just names and there's places and there's really not much theology there. There's not much, but you know what? There's a lot of things that are hidden. And it's really Paul showing us how to be Jesus. Let's take the Bible now, your Bibles, and turn to Acts chapter 20 if you're not there. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. And as you're thinking about this, um, we know from two weeks ago that we looked at this riot that happened in Ephesus. Paul had been there for three years, the longest period of time he was ever in any place. And there was this huge uproar based upon what the silversmith, they had a reduction in market, shall we say, for the, the silver statues revolving around Dinah. And that's what he's making allusion to in verse 1 of chapter 20 as we begin now. After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. When he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months. When the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. There accompanied him into Asia Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychius and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days." And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. 
when he was therefore come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. We went before to ship and sailed unto Assos there, intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. When he met with us at Assos, he, we took him in and came to uh, Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over at Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at uh, Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend time he, did, he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just bow for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, uh, these words that we've read from your written word, they are truly inspired. They do give us a picture of your servant Paul and all that he did to exhibit his Jesus-like characteristics, how he embraced love for the church. Father, you take us where you want us today through the power and the direction and the exclusivity of the teaching of the Holy Spirit in these moments. We thank you for the day. We thank you, Father, that you've taken us through the year 2023, this being the last day, a time for us to reflect upon what's happened and as we gather ourselves and look forward to a new year coming. May it be in our hearts to have a Jesus love, a love for the brethren, a love for the people of the church. May we follow the example of what we saw last week in Jesus' life, a humility, leaving his prerogative, his position, his privilege to give everything that was needed to redeem people. And now today, Father, we see an illustration of that through your servant, Paul. Help us to see more clearly what you want us to see. Take us where you want us to be. These things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of us. Amen. <clears throat> As we start in uh, chapter 20, uh, once again, I'm going to ask that Laramie would please put the map up on the wall. It's Paul's third missionary journey. Um, he has really kind of got a bit sidetracked in Ephesus. He's been there for about three years. And then it was... It kind of culminated, or the tumult came to a, a pinnacle, a point of a rush of a riot. And we talked quite a bit about that a couple of weeks ago. That If you have a riot, there's two things that we know is happening. We have a lot of anger and we have a lot of confusion. Great place not to be part of. There's nothing in a riot that really would be of worth to anyone that is trying to certainly go in a direction that would be positive. And it was no different here. Uh, it's hard to believe the size of the crowd of which were yelling at the top of their lungs, praising Diana for two hours. Are you kidding me? Would that not get old fast? It did, I'm sure. And uh, the, the mayor, I'll use that term, he got before the crowd and he said, wait, guys, you, you need to knock this off. Uh, Paul really hasn't done anything to aggressively demote what you're doing. He's, he's on his own mission, which is interesting. Paul did not pick it. He did not riot. He brought the truth. He lived the truth. He stood firmly for right and truth. And it's amazing how much God used him there. That's the uproar that was talked about in chapter 20 and verse 1. And Paul, it says in that same verse, he called unto him the disciples. He's in Ephesus. He's gathering those believers. And the word in the King James is embraced. In the American, New American Standard, I'm not sure what's in your version. I looked at that one, is the word exhort. 
Uh, that word has a lot of different thoughts to people, and I, I would like to use, uh, maybe talk about what do you hear, wh or what do you, when I, you read in the scriptures, to exhort, uh, or exhortation. What comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Oops, I'm not going to write it on the board with that. Encourage. <laughs> Encourage. That's a really good one, actually. And Paul was good at it, wasn't it? The one I think of when I say encouragement, the first name that pops into my mind is Barnabas. Barnabas was a born encourager. He was the one that literally took Paul from being chast, that's not even word chastised, uh, cast out. He was a cast off to the church because he had been so busy in persecuting it. No one believed him. Who was that guy that brought exhortation or encouragement? Barnabas. And I've asked you on numerous occasions, you need to beat a Barnabas or a Barbara <laughs> to bring encouragement to those around you. I mean, it's amazing what that does to people surrounding you. When you can be an encourager within a group, that team is different. You show me someone that can lift up spirits within a group, that team is different. Barnabas is that person. Exhortation is much of that same thing. And I'm, I would like to, as we're thinking about this passage of Scripture, um, Again, you read it, and I read it, and what did you say? Hmm, what is there to learn from that? He was busy, right? In fact, it's amazing. It, there's so many miles, and there's so many things that happened. It's like, wow, we could have stretched that few verses into like 10 or 15 chapters. It's really true. Now, the other thing that you don't know, um, but I'm going to tell you, is in those 17 verses that we read, Paul wrote three books. He wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans in these verses. Whoa! <laughs> but what seems to be in between the spaces, if I was going to ask you, where would you go if someone asked you, where, wh where can I find a passage about love? Is there a love chapter in the Bible? John would be a good, there'd be a lot of units in John, right? John was the apostle that Jesus loved, and he actually would talk about that, the closeness, even affection. It says in several cases within John, John said he was the disciple that Jesus loved. And he actually laid on his breast. He was that close. There was an embracing part of the affection between Jesus and his disciples, John in the book of itself, in 1 John actually, we're going to be using 1 John to unpackage for us what love looks like for us. 1 Corinthians 13, that's the one I was thinking of at weddings or at, you know, even when I'm preparing a, a couple for, for marriage. Somewhere in that preparation, we will be looking at really in depth of 1 Corinthians 13. Because one thing I want to share, and you know it, if you've been married a long time or if you've even been involved in any relationship, Love is not something you say. Love is something you do. <laughs> and you that have been doing it a long time are smiling because you know, uh, even as you think back to when the husband or wife, as you met them, as you began to know them, before they were your wife or husband, uh, and you told them maybe for the first time that I love you. And then at the wedding, you, before other people and before God said, I love you, even to the point of death, right? But you know, if you've been doing this for a long period of time, you didn't have a clue what love was then. A lot of it was a feeling. 
In fact, there's so many songs written about the feeling of love. Oh, no, no, no. Feelings of love will come and go. Trust me, right? The true love is something that's sacrificial, something that you can count on, something that is, is in 1 John chapter 3, it says not only in word, but in deed and in truth. The real stuff is made, it's done, it's lived. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a book about that, or a chapter about that. Love is patient. That's amazing. It's verse 4. We start on love, first of all. <laughs> I was visiting a young man. He's not married yet. And he was looking forward to being married. There, he has a fiancé, and we were involved in a conversation. I don't know how we got there, but we did. We got there. And he said, I'm really looking forward to marriage. And he said, the Bible says, he was talking about different things, which for the most part was right. And, he, and then he said something. He said, I told my fiancé, I said, there's going to be some days probably that I, I love you, but I may not like you. And I'm thinking, you don't have a clue, buddy. <laughs> you don't even, it sounds good. And there, by the way, there are going to be dis disagreements. And all of you are smiling inside if you're not even smiling and you're stoically sitting there. Inside, there are those moments of disagreement. How will you handle them? Who comes out ahead? One of the things to think forward about is, how can this make us better? That sounds so easy. Doesn't it sound so good here? Tomorrow morning comes. That's the last thing in your mind. How can this make us better? I want to be right. I'm going to make this go my way. There are women that married men to show that they could actually recreate them. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, does it? God has to do that work. And that's the interesting point is love allows God to do that work at the level of our sacrifice. Jesus Christ came. He gave everything. Last, last week we talked about Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you. That was really our go-home message that was in Christ. You talk about humility. You will never find a deeper level of illustration of humility than you'll find in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus Christ gave up everything to die to redeem sinful men and women. That, that, is, that blows my mind. And when you capture that, when you really believe all of that means the love should be towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gave a commandment, love others as yourself. That's what Paul has, really, he's literally given his life. He will give his life. He will be beheaded in Rome by giving his life, not for the redemption of the church, but for the service of the church. An illustration for us, as we're sitting and reading this, there's a lot of love in between the words in this passage. One of the passages now, after studying this, I would have to say I would send someone to these verses in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, if I wanted to really illustrate the love for others, the love for the church through the eyes, through the feeling, through the action of Paul. Paul has gathered up these disciples in Ephesus. He'd been there for a long period of time. Three years is a long period of time for Paul. Normally, he's popping in and out, and they can't wait to get rid of him. And this time, he's been there a long time. You can tell there would be a great, dear, a, a great depth of endearment. The word in the uh, King James again, I, I said, was embrace. The same word is used actually as this young man. We'll get to him in a, in a moment or a couple of minutes. Eutychus actually falls off from the third story and is dead. Now, we know he's dead because Luke, the physician, is writing that account. He literally was there, Luke himself. This is a doctor declared. This is not he was sort of dead and he came back. No, no. This young man was dead, according to a physician. Knows what he's doing. And then it says that Paul embraced him, which brings us back, in your mind probably goes there, 
to the prophets Elijah and Elisha, there were two young people that were dead that they literally put their arms around and embraced them. That's the word. And through the power of God, they came back to life. That's the same word that's in the King James from that moment to also as he embraced the disciples. Now he's leaving. So it's a, it's a point of saying goodbye. And oftentimes, if you have been engaged in family um, gatherings or whatever it is, there's a time of departure. And oftentimes that is ended with hugs, right? Of endearment, of affection. That's the same word. But it also, is, and there's encouragement from that, isn't it? When you know that someone loves you, and the way Paul did it, he did it in numerous ways. The one that's the most significant in the sense of exhortation, which, um, Alice, did, you said encouraging, right? And it's amazing how encouragement ultimately can be, can be resonate, uh, yeah, resonated in so many different ways. But the one that Paul was the strongest in, which this passage is full of, is he always made time to teach always made time to teach. And if you think I've been long-winded, did you notice <laughs> that, my friends, was a long service? We'll be getting to that in a moment. But these disciples now in Ephesus, he's circled them. He's showing them affection through literally encouraging them about what would happen. And you know, one of the things that I'm sure he would have talked to them about was this riot may not be the last one. You guys may be suffering more persecution because of what's taken place economically to those that are of the world system. Get ready for it. I can tell, I, I'm sure that's what he said. And as they parted, he left, and that exhortation stayed behind. And it says they departed to go to Macedonia. Um, now, one of the things that, uh, I wonder if I should do that now. Well, let's, let's look at our map first. So, Ephesus uh, being... Being right there is where he spent his time. On the this is the third missionary journey. And then it says that he's going to go to Macedonia. That's his plan. So from Ephesus, he is going to journey around this way through Troas. We'll find that in a moment. And then he's actually going to go all the way down through Macedonia, end up in northern Greece to Achaia, and he ends up in Corinth. That's literally how it goes. Now, the thing that's interesting is he's been telling about the fact that he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And originally, it was for Passover. Now, just a second. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not very bright. But let's see if you would go the same direction. Now, I got on an airplane one time, and I'm going to Kentucky. Seven hours later, I was in New Mexico. Missed a flight. I would have been better to start with a bicycle from here going to Kentucky the right way. Did I eventually get there? Yes. It was the airline's way of getting me there late. But it's almost the same. If I'm in Ephesus, uh, I think Jerusalem's over here. Why would I go this way? Because it's another way of love. We're going to be intermingling several words. We'll be writing them on the board. There's not only exhortation or exhorting. There's a word that he was very, very interested in doing. Because let's, let's, first of all, before I even say the word, let's imagine what it would be like living in Jerusalem. Now, this is the place, this was where Pentecost happened first. This is where the Holy Spirit was given to the church. This is where the church began, in hometown Jew, capital city. And your family may have been one of those that accepted Christ. You may have been one of those families of which the husband that went to work the next day 
when they found out that he had accepted Christ, said, you don't, know how have, you don't have a job here. This city doesn't tolerate Jesus Christ, let alone somebody following him. You're fired. That, no doubt, folks, took place. That went on for months and years. Jerusalem didn't become Christian. Today, if you go to the city of Jerusalem, I didn't check this out, but the percentage of Christians within Jerusalem, it's got to be super small. It's thought of Bethlehem that there's probably no more than 500 total believers within that entire region. This is where Jesus was born. Do you see why we're going to have to have a tribulation period? The 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks, Jesus is not done, or God's not done, with the Jews. And at the end of seven years, the 70th week of Daniel, guess what's going to happen? They're going to see Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Today, wholeheartedly, they've rejected him, which is the reason that you can be here today gathering up encouragement and enthusiasm and comfort from the fact that because they rejected him, Jesus said, the gospel is open to you. That's what Paul's been doing. Now, that's what makes this interesting. As the church in Jerusalem would be suffering, and I'm talking suffering financially and just the sense of being an outcast. Now, you, you might want to say, well, wait a minute. Isn't, wasn't it the, the Council of Churches, the Council of Jerusalem is what I should say. The Council of Jerusalem, what, weren't those the ones that were kind of the foundation where James, Jesus' half-brother, led that assembly and they gave instruction? Yeah, that's true. But again, that, they would be very much an outcast. Very much an outcast. Let your mind work with that for a second. It would be poor, very poor, financially destitute. In fact, we can even see it back as the church began. Guess what? Those that had some wealth were already starting to sell their possessions. They were, they were sharing it with those that had nothing, that no, no, had no job, no home to go to. And I'll put that on steroids because it's been a number of years since that began. Do you think it got better? The Jews are still, remember, in fact, we're going to find that someone even in Corinth here, now that's another thing back in chapter 18, remember? Paul had a magnificent victory. There was the leader of the synagogue that became a Christian. And then there was the next guy, and he became a Christian. And the Jews didn't forget that. In fact, all of the events, I didn't tell you this yet, but he ended at Corinth, and then he wanted to go to Jerusalem. But it was found out there was a plot against his life. Now, guess who would have been leaving Corinth to go to Jerusalem for the Passover? Jews. Jews that didn't like Jesus. Jews that didn't like Paul. Now, if you think of an opportunity, that would be a great place. Can you imagine plotting at the Jewish, let's get rid of Paul meeting? Hey, when he gets on, the, when he gets on at Sancria, that would have been the port city. He's five miles away from Corinth. We talked about all that several weeks ago. He gets on the boat. We'll just throw him overboard as we're going to Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be an easy plot? Or kill him. Opportunity that you can't believe. But guess what? Paul finds out about it, and he says, well, I guess we'll just go back and visit the churches we came on. And that's how he gets back to Troas, and that's how he gets back. But it wasn't Passover that he got to. It was Pentecost. Isn't it amazing how God works? Now, you know who wouldn't, who wouldn't have got resurrected from the dead? It was Eutychus. This is all after the fact. He finds about the plot that he was going to go to Jerusalem. But still, the question is, why did he go to Jerusalem that way? Why would you go west to go east? That sounds like how our mail is delivered nowadays, isn't it? You mail in Sheridan, you go to Billings to come back to Sheridan. Huh? Sounds like Paul's journey. And you're wondering, yeah, why did he do that? 
Well, we know that the offering that was needed in Jerusalem was dire. He talked about it in several places, that he was interested in raising an offering for the poor people at Jerusalem in the church. Now, the church, we know, has went through some growing pains. All of Acts is really about that. That's what allows us, this bridge book, allows us to see how the church crossed barriers. It crossed barriers of Samaritans. It crossed barriers of Gentiles. It crossed barriers of those that didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. Now, what would bring more unity? And by the way, Jew and Gentile, it says it all through the New Testament, Jew and Gentile are in the same church. We don't have the church of the Jews that has a Holy Spirit, and we don't have the church of the Samaritans that have a different Holy Spirit, and we don't have a church of the Gentiles which have a different Holy Spirit. No, all one spirit, all one body, all united. Now, what would make a louder blessing and cohesiveness for unity than for Paul to gather up offerings from Galatia, from Asia, from Macedonia, from Greece or Achaia, and bring those back from the church to Jerusalem. That's exactly the reason that he went there. In fact, those names of people that I didn't pronounce very well, they were all representatives from different regions, and they were going, and they did. They went back to Jerusalem to support and give representation from the churches that gave an offering to the church of Jerusalem that was probably solely ex-Jews to form a united bond in the church. Now, I'm going to tell you that journey is not like us getting in a car or a plane and traveling that same distance. There are days and weeks of hard perseverance and difficulty. I mean, again, your life, you find out there's a plot to take your life in Corinth. All of that at the expense for the church. Wouldn't it have been easier to just say, you know, why don't you guys just send your offering with somebody else? It'll get on a ship, and it'll, you know, and for us, it's, we can't even comprehend it. You can put it in a FedEx package, and you can send it there. Or you can get in UPS. You can put it in the mail and hope for the best. No, 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 no. That wasn't Paul, was it at all? He kept a team together with these representatives and went to go gather up these donations to literally go back to Jerusalem and show what love was. And that is giving, isn't it? That is giving. And that's a big word. We could use a lot of different ways to even say that. Now, those words aren't even stated here, and yet you can see the love between the words. He departed to go to Macedonia. When he had gone over those parts... <laughs> there's so many miles in those few words. It's amazing. Look at that. And he's, he's going... He's going from Ephesus, and he's going all this way, and he's going, I mean, it just says, and when he was going through those parts, really, miles and perseverance and trouble and struggles, and had given them, oh, I love this, he didn't just give them exhortation, he gave them, in the King James, what did it say? Much. Over the top, encouragement. Over the top, teaching and preaching. He came to Greece. Did you see in one verse how far we went? We went from Ephesus all the way over into Achaia. It blows my mind. Now, if you just read that and you don't charge it out, you say, huh, well, that's really exciting. <laughs> Actually, it's not reading it, but when you dig it out and you start to look and you see and you dig the context out, it's amazing the love that this man Paul had for the church. 
It says that there abode three months. He was there in Corinth, or in, I shouldn't say Corinth, but in Achaia, he was there for three months, most of the time in Corinth. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he's about to go back to Jerusalem now, because he has all of the collections, all of those monies that was going to go back to the Jerusalem church, he purposed to return through Macedonia. If that threat hadn't been there, if that plot against his life, he would have left from Sancria and just headed right on over to Jerusalem. But as it turns out, he said, I better not do that, so I'm just going to go back the same way I came. Okay? Now, then it names for us. In fact, I should, I, I think we need to stop here for a moment, because uh, if we were going to dig in for just a moment, let's use exhort, and I heard the word encouragement, which is really good. And how do we get encouragement? How do you get encouragement? What, what encourages you? You're here today, why? Well, I needed to put an hour in to get my yearly quota for church services. And this, I had to have this. Have you ever had some of those credits you have to have? Like, <laughs> Laramie had to go to something the other day to get credits for his spray applicator's license, right? And you have to go. Is that why you came to church? Get the quota in, get your credit hours in? I hope not. In fact, you should be here, and I'm hoping you're here, because you want to be fed. And how are you fed? Uh, when you're fed, you're encouraged, aren't you? Uh, for, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it, Peter says, it's not just Paul's idea, Peter says, feed the flock. He did not say, beat the flock. <laughs> and sometimes that's how the Bible has gotten out of sync. There's two sides to that. And I will tell you, absolutely, if you're getting encouragement as a Christian in any place other than the Scriptures through teaching and preaching of the Word, it's pretty shallow. I mean, you can have a little quote here, a little quote there, or, or whatever it might be. But if it's not in the Word, it's pretty shallow. It won't last very long. You really can't be encouraged. You become happy for a moment, but depth of encouragement and peace. There was a man that actually texted me this week. He said, I'd like to talk to you pretty soon. I got the text and I picked up the phone. No answer. I said, I'll talk to you later. He texts back, I don't really want to talk to anybody as of recent. So now, I'm tell now that's telling me some things. That's telling me he's probably depressed. And that's like telling, don't be depressed anymore. How does that work? Not very well. In fact, it doesn't work on me either, right? So then, I, and I didn't, I didn't respond at all to that. So the next text comes, text comes back, I'm just worrying too much. And I know, I can't remember the word he used, but it was an allusion to God. Um, I don't know if he said the, whatever it was, that the one that knows all is upset by that. Ah, now we're starting to part ways. So this was, at, this was at night. Now, rather than Larry responding at night, let's go to bed. Let's get some sleep. Let's wake up with the first fresh moments, and then let's go to the Word. Okay? So I texted him back, and I said, you're right. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 talks about the peace that passes all understanding. And if you're worrying, you're fearful. And if you're fearful, you're not at peace. And that's where God wants you. But I said, here's the deal. You have to connect verse 7 because it goes back to verses 4 through 6. There are three things that we have to do to get the peace. That is to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. That's what Paul said as he's sitting in prison, right? He's the guy saying rejoice. I love this guy, don't you? I mean, he was so sacrificial. He was so loving. He was so encouraging. And he used the word of God to do it. And then the one that's sometimes hard for us is because if, if you're in this worrying, this anxiety, 
A couple things. You don't want to pray about anything because you're too busy helping yourself try to fix it. But the other one that's hard is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5, it says to have a gentle spirit. So I said, number two, cultivate a kind and gentle spirit. And then thirdly, pray about everything. Divide your worries into two categories. Divide them into the ones that you can't do anything about. Uh, those are God's. Make them his completely. Pray about those and give them to him. And then the things that you can change, pray for God's power to change you to change the conditions. And I said, then you will have the peace that you're looking for. You know what I got back? A thumbs up. Hadn't said one word to the man verbally, and yet the word of God spoke to him. That's exhortation. Not that I'm smart. No, the word is really smart. The word feeds us. On the other side, there's, well, there's two sides to how the scripture authority comes in. One of them is, is authority of scripture is at an all-time low today. Uh, from the world, first of all, I mean, there is a million ways to create illusions that the scripture makes no sense. It's hard for me to believe that there's people today serving in a pulpit, preaching or teaching to people that do not believe that the word of God, the Bible, is true. I have no idea how you can do that. Well, I'm sure that the Bible didn't even come to the front. But how do you do that in a church? And it's done innumerably today on this day, this very moment that I'm before you. There are, there are churches that are being, quote, unquote, fed, not fed is my word, by philosophies, by intellectualism that has nothing to do with really the truth, the word of God. That's the liberal pro proponents. On the other side, on the absolute other side where the authority of Scripture has been diminished or um, railroaded is from a legalistic, fundamentalist view that's so narrow that they pound you to death. They're not feeding the sheep. They're beating the sheep. I've had young men come to me in the last six or eight months, and that's the feeling they get stepping into some churches, that they're browbeaten. There's nothing for it. There's no food there. There's a whipping there. There's a beating that's just as bad. And then there's what's happened as a result of those two things is now the worship service, which actually the first worship service is actually defined for us as we get back into Troas. It's going to be fun to watch this. But now worship services are made of extracurricular activities, stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the Word of God. And I'll just say this. If we have a worship service here and the Word of God is not open and we're not using it, let's get out of here. I can't give you anything. There's no food outside of any of that. That's the basis. That's the basis. And that's what Paul is so good about doing. He encourages through the word. He encourages through his life, which is based on the word. He has given his life sacrificially because he's looking like the Jesus that everyone needs to be like. He's a, he's, he's a trendsetter. But you know what? It doesn't come without a cost. I can't imagine... When you get through these 17 verses, if you aren't completely exhausted just thinking about slipping into Paul's shoes, then you didn't get there yet. This man gave it every single moment of every single day to lift up and give his life for the love of the church. Now, it wasn't just, in fact, we could ask this question, what makes a man a, a, a minister of God or a you could say past. I would just want to use minister. I want to, a servant of God. I think it's more important to say it that way. What qualities make that servant of God more effective? That's a good question, isn't it? How can we be more effective? 
And we could come up with various answers. Well, you know, like Paul, he had the gift of teaching. I mean, he had a gift that would encourage people. He could sit down and, I mean, I'm going to tell you something now on this. I should, well, I'll leave that for a moment. We'll get, to the, we'll get to that worship service in a moment. But to just be in his presence, you wanted to listen. You wanted to partake of everything that he was. Was it that? Was it because he was really smart? Was it because he was a Pharisee and he saw all of the Old Testament and then when Jesus saved him that he was able to put all of the, the X's in the right spots and the dots and the T's? Was that it? Was he really smart? Did that make him better? Maybe he was just wise. He'd seen a lot of things. Or maybe because he persecuted all of these people, he could see really the perception of what he'd missed. Uh, the answers to all of those are maybe some. But the key to that is not even the love for the gift that God gave him. It was the love for the people that he was gifted to teach. The love for the people that he was going to give to. Any man or woman that's ever served the Lord God, that has been effective, has loved the people of God. That's the truth of the matter. And now you're watching between words. I mean, I read a sentence and that guy traveled a long ways with a lot of a lot of power a lot of passion are you passionate in your walk like paul is i want to i want to show you a few things these are these are some things that uh i, I it's second uh, corinthians chapter 11 let's go there for a moment second corinthians chapter 11 uh and again this letter was written while he was in macedonia the second letter to Second Corinthians. First Corinthians was actually written from Ephesus. Just before he left Ephesus, uh, all of this that I've talked about today, he wrote the, the letter to First Corinthians. He was concerned about them. But look at the letter to Second Corinthians, which he would have been somewhere in Macedonia, traveling through probably Thessalonica, Philippi, somewhere there. In, in verses uh, 23, he starts... Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft... Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Uh, when you get the 39 lashings, that is amazingly brutal. You shouldn't even be able to say that you've lived after that. Five times. Thrice, three times I was beaten with rods. That's serious. Once I was stoned. In fact, they left him for dead. You remember that as we were traveling through Acts. Three times I, was, I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen. The Jews hate me. In perils by heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. In per Are you getting the peril thing figured out? How many of us would say, enough already? I don't want any more perils. I've had enough perils. Give me a pearl for a while. The man's given it all. Does he love the church? You better believe it. In weariness, verse 27, and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. There's not a lot left in sacrifice. Beside, but here's the, here's the catch. This is the verse nobody reads. Beside those things, all of those things I talked about that are without, they're on the outside, they're external, that's which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He's saying, that's even more important to me than anything that I've suffered externally. Are you starting to get a sense of the passion of this man, Paul? That's amazing to me. The man is on fire for love 
for the brothers and sisters of Christ. He's giving it all. His, his love is evidenced by all of that. Let's look at a couple of passages. Get your Bibles ready, and we're going we're gonna to zoom pretty quickly. But Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And if you'd like to just write these down and check them in later, that's fine too. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Again, these, these epistles are coming alive because these are places that he's been. Okay? He's writing this letter to the Philippians. He says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Oh, but before we start, before we start, just, just a minute. Where is a sense of where affections or a real key to giving comes from? What, what would we say? It's in your heart, right? So let's be looking for that word. Let's watch it in the scriptures. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He's praying for that. Even if it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and defense and confirmation of the gospel, all you are partakers of my grace. <laughs> Can you see the love this man has for these people? But it's not just the Philippians. He doesn't like the Philippians or love the Philippians any more than, well, let's go to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this letter he wrote, as I've already said, while he was in Macedonia. He was very concerned about them. In fact, we'll look at a, a verse here that there was a man to meet him. Titus was supposed to give him the update on Corinth. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Chapter 7, verse 3. Chapter 7, verse 3. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and live with you. <laughs> now, if there was ever a people that would be easy to not like very much, it would be the Corinthians. <laughs> they were carnal beyond belief. The city was gone crazy. First Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's take a look. Verses 7 and 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out when we can start, but we're going to have a men's Bible study again in the church. And I want to, I want to attack 1 Thessalonians. That's one's coming on my mind. But stay tuned. In the next week or two, we're going to pick, in fact, maybe be thinking of you that are interested in being in the Bible study, that what would be a night of the week that would work? Be praying about that. But 1 Thessalonians has my attention right now. Uh, not the least of which is in chapter 4. Now, see, I'm going off on another. Bring me back. This rabbit is moving off on another trail. But chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians talks about the rapture. Uh, you, do you know what has to happen? We had a, a, just a couple of guys here a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about it. My question was, okay, what has to happen before the rapture? And the rapture is not, and somebody that doesn't believe in the rapture, i uh, love to have a visit with you. Because the rapture is a word that's not in the Bible. That's crude, but it's a catching away. Okay? There's two more, there's two comings of Jesus Christ. One of them was we meet, we, the church, those that are in Christ, meet him in the air. And then the second coming is literally, and there are very two distinct meetings. That's why. There's one in the air, and there's one on the Mount of Olives in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he will land at the end of the tribulation, and that mountain will be split. I mean, he will make an entrance. 
That's his second coming. Second coming is not the rapture. The rapture is not the second coming. But in, Philippi, or in, sorry, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, talks about this catching in the air, the rapture. My question for these young men was this. Tell me what has to happen before the rapture, the catching away of the saints will happen. Man, and they are looking at one another, and they're scratching, and hmm. I said, well, what is it? Can you tell me what's wait what are we waiting for? This is kind of exciting because there's not much, but what is it? Finally, they just said, I don't know. And I said, listen carefully, nothing, nothing, nothing. It could happen before I end the sentence. And at just the right time, God will know, and it will happen. Now, there are those that say, well, it hasn't happened for 2,000 years, and you guys keep, Christians, you keep talking about this. Well, my response to that is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, verses 8 and 9. To God, one day is 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is a day. I'm not going to mess with somebody that built time. When he's ready, it's going to be ready. <laughs> and that's something that happened in 1 Thessalonians. You know what the Thessalonians were worried about, they were concerned about? <sighs> is they thought they'd missed it. And then those that had died would miss it for sure. And there's all kinds of encouragement that Paul gives through the scriptures. That's where we're going to go. But for right now, 1 Thessalonians, see, I got back. The rabbit came back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Watch this. He's speaking to this church at Thessalonica. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now that's gentle. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Do you see the affection and the, the, the love that Paul has for all of these people? See, now you're starting to see it between the verses, between the words, I'm sorry, between the words. Wow. Let's go back to Ephesians now. Thinking about that, how important is preaching? How important is teaching? How important is exhortation? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start at verse 12. Actually, we're going to start before that. We're going to go to verse 11. He's speaking about gifts. Now, here's, a, here's an interesting thing. Now, this is, there's, this is a big deal. Now, every one of you that has trusted Christ as Savior has, given it, has been given at least one gift. At least one. And I, I don't know exactly what it is, but as you begin to give that gift, as you begin to minister that gift, others will see it in you. Now, what can happen is you can get to love the gift. I'm waiting silently because if we love the gift more than who we're giving the gift to, then we missed it. Pastors that love to teach or preach more than they love the ones that they're preaching or teaching through to miss it. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Now, let's watch it. He goes on to say, and some, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, semicolon, he's not done. Why? What is this for? For the perfecting or the equipping of the saints. How does that come? Through the word. For the perfecting. I like the word Equipping, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. In fact, if you're not equipped properly, then the work, the labor, the love, the service doesn't happen. For the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, that doesn't happen. Till we all come into the unity. No, there's no unity. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect, the mature man, there's no maturity. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what does happen? 
that we're henceforth just no more children. We're not, and we're being tossed to and fro. We're carried with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Do you know why there's men and women that are being swayed by different doctrines? Because they're not being built up. They're not being equipped in the word of God. And I have to say this. Now, I, I actually was uh, reading a pastor that had done some writing in the 1970s, and he said this. He says, it's the worst I've ever seen and can imagine, the lack of respect for the authority of the Word of God. This was 1971. I'm sorry. It's at a new low. <laughs> is, there any re is there any wonder that we don't have true encouragement? Is it any wonder? It must come from the Word of God. Now, I pounded on that one, because, not because I've said it, because the Word of God pounds on it. Paul pounds on it. The Word of God is the place to be exhorted, to be encouraged, to be fulfilled. That's where the power comes from. Feeding the sheep. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians. If you're, let's go back there for a moment, and let's take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Well, let's start in verse, let's see, where should I go? Let's go to 16 first. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll actually use this in a couple of different sessions in regards to later even on this beginning of this worship service. But look in chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, we're back to giving, as I have given order of the church to the churches of Galatia, even so do I, even so do you. Okay. This letter actually was written while he's in Ephesus. It takes off and gets to them in Corinth. And there's a lot about 1 Corinthians that Paul is actually very concerned about. He was thinking he was too hard on them. In fact, he was going to meet Titus and Troas to see how they'd received it. And Troas, I'm sorry, and Titus didn't show up. He keeps going, and they finally meet further on in Macedonia. And he says they received it well. And then he wrote the letter to the 2 Corinthians. That's how that took place. But let's take a look. Let's keep going. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, maybe I should stop, that's okay, lay, lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. I, know this, I want you to put together this, this gift, and I want you to do it, what day of the week? The first day of the week. Now that is, we call it Sunday. We're here, why are we here? I, I think we should just dig into this right now. I should do one other thing, though, before we do it. Can you guys hold this thought for just a second? I want to read the other passage that speaks about, and we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be right back. Somebody will bring, Paul, your job to bring me back to 1 Corinthians 16. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm sorry, 2. 2 Corinthians 2. Let's look at 12, verses 12 and 13. Okay. Furthermore, when I came to Troas, I've just talked to you about it. When I came to Troas, to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Why was he looking for Titus? Because Titus was going to tell him what had happened in Corinth when he gave him the letter. He's just, he's worried about it. I'd be careful with the word worry, because he takes his worry to God. Second Corinthians, now let's go to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. 5 and 6. For we, when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comfort us by the coming of Titus. That's where he met Titus. And then Titus told him, yeah, they got the message and they turned it around. 
And that's when Paul sat down and penned Second Corinthians. Do you see how busy this guy is? It's amazing. Are you tired out? Are you weary? You should be, but it gets better. He tells them now, let's go back to uh, Paul, right? We were going to go back to chapter 16, right? Right, okay. First day of the week. This is actually a picture of the worship service. The first worship service actually in, in Scripture is given to us right here after Christ, and it's meeting on a Sunday. Uh, but before you get entrenched in that, let's see what John, the one that wrote the Gospel of John and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, and let's see what he calls it. This is what really the preference is, because when we call it Sunday under the Roman system, we're really saying the sun god, the god of the sun. And there is no God of the Son, so it really doesn't matter. But let's see what John the Apostle called it, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. John is getting this vision. He's really seeing all of it has not unfolded. It's an amazing thing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm just blown away by what information was given to John over 2,000 years ago. And here we are, and it still hasn't unfolded. It's close, really close. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit, capital S, on the Lord's Day. <laughs> What's the Lord's Day? That's Sunday. That's why when I'm here today at 10 o'clock, I call it, we're here on the Lord's Day. Why do we call it the Lord's Day? Why do we call it that? Why do we worship on the Lord's Day? Let's go back to John chapter 20. Let's go back to John chapter 20. There are a number of reasons. John chapter 20. Now, before I go any further, I want to be careful to say that um, just as the church began, and for some period of time, every day was the Lord's Day. The church was growing, and they were teaching, and they were exhorting, and they were lifting, and they were giving, and they were doing stuff every day. So is there a day above any other day that you can be after God's business? No. But I want to go back and scripturally look at the fact. I want to be above traditions. I want to be above just whatever somebody said. What does the scripture say? So, John chapter 20, and let's take a look at verse uh, 19. Now, we know if you, and I, I can't go through all of this, you'll have to do something to study yourself, but in the previous verses, it talks about the risen Lord that had appeared to Mary Magdalene, right? Remember that? What day is this? This is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's... Now, the Lord's Day, I love to use that, but let's go ahead and call it what it is. It's the Sunday. It's the eighth day. That's how it's described many times. The first day through the sixth day, and then the seventh day God rested, right? Then there's a sense of Sabbath. Sabbath meaning rest. When was the first time that the Sabbath day was given or directed for people to adhere to? And I'm talking now the Sabbath, not Sunday, but Saturday, Sabbath. What day? Excuse me? The law, when Moses, how much was it kept before Moses was given that law? Never. It's not talked of. There was a principle that God rested, yes, but he never directed anyone to do that. It was in chapter 20 of Exodus that God gave to Moses, not to the rest of the world, not to the rest of the people. In fact, let's go to Exodus chapter 31 for a moment and make sure that we didn't get mail mixed up. Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, and let's take a look. Uh, I'll get there. I got it in my Bible. Exodus 31, it's about 16 or 17. Well, we'll start in verse 12. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of the world. Is that what it says? 
Israel. That's important. Saying, verily, my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. That seems pretty personalized. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, so it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord, whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Pretty clear where the mail was going, right? This is a covenant to Moses and the Israelites for this period of time. Now we're going to get into the fact that, well, wait a minute. Did he give that to anyone else? Did he condemn anyone that did not keep that that was not a Jew? No. Of the Ten Commandments that are in the New Testament, well, let's go back. The Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites. Nine of those Ten Commandments are reiterated by Jesus or the following prophets, I'm going to say the apostles, in the New Testament, nine of ten. Guess which one was not ever reiterated? The Sabbath. Which one was Jesus in the face of the Pharisees? If there was something, there was two things that Jesus did continually that really, really messed with them. One is to say that he was equal with God. That'll get her going. And the other one was, guess when he usually healed people? On the Sabbath. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Listen carefully. Anything he wanted to. Praise God. Why did he do that? Because the Sabbath was a shadow. It was a shadow. And when the real thing is there, you don't look at shadows anymore. The whole legal system, and I'm taking now the, the, the sacrificial, I should say it clearly, the sacrificial system, that was a shadow of things to come. Jesus was called the Passover. He was our Passover. John the Baptist said upon seeing him, Behold, the Lamb of God the Passover lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. He's here. We don't need shadows anymore. We, that's what Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is about. That's a difficult book, but it's so rich because it talks about Jesus has conquered it once and for all. No more shadows needed. And our poor Jewish friends want to rebuild the temple. And they want to go back to the sacrificial system. And I say, Look to Jesus. Now they will. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. That is a fabulous verse. When Jesus lands on this, on that Mount of Olives, splits that mountain, and finally the Jews will look at him and say, the one that we pierced, we know he's our Messiah. That day's coming. Praise God. Are you starting to see there's some sense of selectivity to this Sabbath? Well, it's not only that, but did we actually go to John chapter 20? Let's go back, because I think we're ready now. I think we're ready. John chapter 20. Verse 19, we said that Jesus actually rose on the Lord's Day. That's why it's called the Lord's Day, because he rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, it says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, on the sepulcher, and seeth the stone take away from the... Why did she not come on the Saturday? Because it's the Sabbath. Guess when the Sabbath ends, according to Jewish time? It's sunset to sunset. So the Sabbath would have been over on the sunset of Saturday, which that was a high 
That was a big-time deal because the Passover had been, literally, the Passover lambs were killed Friday afternoon. At what time? 3 o'clock when Jesus died and said it is finished. <gasps> that is cool. I want to tell every Jew in the world that. Your sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Passover, and the veil was split from top to bottom, and God could see. No, you could see everything that God was. No more shadows. Isn't that fantastic? I got a little excited there for a moment. But the evening of Saturday began the Sunday. It was legal now for Mary. Now, she didn't go at the night. She came early the next morning when it was dark. And the stone had been rolled away. Jesus was out of the tomb on the Lord's day, on Sunday. But let's keep going. He meets with the group, verse 19, shoving ahead. Then the same day, that's Sunday, at evening, so just before Sunday is over, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, why would they keep the doors shut? Well, if they killed Jesus, we're next. (laughs) Right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus, who walks, just, he's there. There's no walls, there's no doors, there's no locks, there's not. He stood in the midst of them and said, of course he'd say, peace be unto you. No worries, no frets. Peace be unto you. On Sunday, the Lord's Day. He's meeting with them all. Oh, wait, not all of them. And when he had said so, verse 20, he showed them unto them, his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I. And then for, it even says that he gave them the Holy Spirit, received the Holy Ghost, literally it was until they would receive it at Pentecost, 50 days later. But there was one that wasn't there, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And he said, until I see him, and now I put my fingers in those scars, I'm not going to believe. And guess when Jesus appeared to him? The next Sunday. Read it. Eight days later, counting from the day that it started, again, his disciples were within, Thomas with them. And then Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. (laughs) I think that's encouragement that the Lord's Day is a great day to worship God. That's the day we need to come together as a group corporately, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. He met the disciples on a Sunday. He met Thomas with the disciples on the next Sunday. The Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. There was never any command to any Gentile nations to keep the Sabbath. They were never condemned for failing to do so. Now, here's something that's important. Do you remember? We talked about Jerusalem, this gift that's going to go back down to Jerusalem. We're we're not there yet. But uh, remember, they were the ones that had the apostles. That's where church was begun. That's where Pentecost, at that time, they were like the Holy Grail. They were the ones that set it up. Where did I put that? Quiet. There we go. Sorry. What would they say when they saw the Gentile church to begin to take off? Now remember, the connection between Jews and Christianity from the outside, they saw them as the same. 
That's one of the things the Romans were just like, just perplexed by. You got the Jews that hated Jesus coming to, uh, you, that Paul guy, you got to put him, you got to put him to death. That's enough of this. Even Pilate, uh, gee, he's your guy. Isn't he a Jew? What's the problem? I mean, they're just perplexed. In fact, that's one of the, the whole world sees in the sense that they see the church fighting. They can't figure it out. What's your problem? Right? What is our problem? We're not being Jesus. We're not letting Jesus change us. But let's get back to it. So they couldn't make this distinction between Jesus and the Jews. That didn't make any sense to them. So now, what would the Council of Jerusalem say to the Gentiles that were getting saved and the church was beginning in Macedonia and Galatia? I should say Galatia first. That's where it started. What will they say? And you need to keep the Sabbath. They didn't. They gave three other rules. They did not give that one. In fact, you won't find it anywhere given to anyone. Now, can you worship on Saturday? Absolutely you can. But don't tell me that lack of, of worshiping on Saturday is wrong. Because Colossians chapter 2 says this. Colossians chapter 2, let's go there. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians, how come I can't find it? There we go. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, that's what you eat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the bodies of Christ. It's happened. We're here. No more shadows needed. How about Galatians chapter 4? Let's go there. That's a book about legalism. We're about done with this, but I want to make sure that you understand why we worship on the Lord's Day. Come together corporately, if you will, because we were, that's the Lord's Day, the very essence of it. Galatians, okay, I'm on the wrong side of it. There we go. We're finally going to find it. Galatians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. He's speaking to the Galatians. You know, it's like, what are you guys doing? You missed it. You've left Jesus behind. You've left your freedom behind. But in verse 10 of chapter 4, he says, You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. In other words, you're keeping days. For what? Why? You have freedom in Christ. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. Now, you know when he wrote this book? You know, he wrote the book of Romans. I'm telling you, Romans is a book. I, there's some pastors, their entire, their entire life has been spent just studying in church on Romans. And I would say, we can break away for a little bit, but it is so rich, so deep, so amazing. And guess when Paul wrote that? When he was in Corinth. <laughs> how did he do it? Because he was immersed in the Spirit. That's how. How are you going to get stuff done? When you're immersed in the Spirit. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 5. Just about there myself. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every other day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. His point is this. There are Jews that still were prone to worship on Sabbath. And you know what you would. If you were 60, 70, 80 years old and you went to church, I'm careful with the word. They didn't really probably even use that. They called it the way because it was a new way. It was Jesus' way. It was when Jesus said in John 14, 6, which doesn't mean as much to us until we really think about it that way, I am the way. Jesus is that way, the life and the truth. No man comes of the Father except by me. He's that way. 
So if you would have been, and guess where Paul was on every Sabbath, where there was ever a synagogue open that he could walk in and talk about Jesus, it's on the Sabbath. And if you want to worship on the Sabbath, you go for it. Go big time. But don't you ever say that it's wrong to worship on any other day, because that is not in that book. It is not in that book. Even John the Apostle, Jewish as Jew could be, he called it the Lord's Day on Sunday. That's the day the Lord was risen. That's the day that he met with the disciples first, and then a week later, so they were all there. That's the day of Pentecost that the church began. That's where there's no adverse reaction or any adverse commandment in the New Testament revolving around keeping the Sabbath. Now, I suggest this. I'd worship God seven days a week. Not just one, seven days a week. But corporately, it would seem like, and we're gonna, we see this now as we get to it, actually in Acts chapter 20, it's the first time we have a picture of the first worship service. Okay? You guys worn out yet? Did you believe there's that much stuff in these verses? <laughs> I'll try to move quickly now. Let's move quickly. Because there's another thing we have to give up here is the sense, if you haven't noticed it yet, I've been reading a lot of verses, and that word does not show up in our text. But not only is Paul a good at exhorting, he's, he's good at giving, and he has went to the extra mile. He didn't say put it in the mail. He says, I not only want to go and get it from you, I'm going to bring representatives from each one of these churches, and we're going to go and present it to the church at Jerusalem to show that we're fully and completely unified in Jesus Christ. But if you haven't known this about Paul yet, then he was incredibly persistent. <laughs> there wasn't one bone in his body that gave up. I've read verses to that extent. He was amazing. He just kept going. He kept going. Let's go back to our text now. And there's one more. I'm going to write it on here because I think it's important. Is it okay if I write it down here? I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> but just in case, right? This is the one that to me is the one that we have the most trouble with because we're all really, really busy. Really busy. We are busy, aren't you? We're busy. 24 hours, it's amazing how busy we can become. I'm talking to myself now. I'm, I'm not, you guys are laughing. You should say something about that, right? But you know what? I'm probably not as busy as Paul was. I know I wasn't. I know I'm not. This guy is unbelievable in his passion. We could, we could actually put a parenthesis around this whole thing and say passion for Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying for you to catch. He wants it to be catchy, if you will. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter 20. Let's, get, let's keep moving. He purposed to return through Macedonia. We've talked about that, but verse 4, let's start naming some names. And there accompanied him into Asia. This is chapter 20, verse 4, of Asia, Sopater of Berea. Okay, let's find Berea. That should be right there, okay? Remember those guys at Berea? They were the ones that actually went and studied and saw if what Paul said was true. Isn't that good? That's really good stuff, right? He's from Berea. So they probably had a gift. Sopater was going to re represent them. Of the Thessalonians, where's that? Thessalonica, right there. Thessalonica. There were Aristarchus and Secundus. And then, and Gaius of Derby. Now, I don't know if Derby's on our map. Does anybody see Derby? I do not see it. But it would be somewhere in Macedonia. I don't know where it's at. I'm sorry. Derby. 
and Timotheus and of Asia and Tychicus and Trophimus. They were from, they were, would have been from the Asia area, okay? These going before tarried for us at Troas. In other words, they were going to go from here all the way to Jerusalem, plot on his life. He says, oh, guess what? Let's just go back the way we came. Now, they take off first, and they're going to meet in Troas. That's where they're going to meet. And we, who's, ooh, did you catch that? Different pronoun. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Now, when he uses we or us, he's with him. Luke is with Paul. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened, what's unleavened bread? The Passover. That's literally what Paul was wanting to get to Jerusalem for was a Passover. Guess what? In this retracking, this retreating, if you will, he gets to Philippi and he celebrates the Passover. Okay? From there, he sails to Troas. We sailed away from Philippi after days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days. Now, if you go back to 16, let me see if I write, verses 16 through 11, on the second missionary journey, that trip only took two days. Two days. So why did it take five? I don't know how good you guys are with sailboats, but if the wind's against you, you don't go very fast. Even I can figure that out, right? So it was a long five days. Now, do you think, now, who's in a hurry right now? Paul is in a hurry. He now wants to go, okay, I've, I've missed Passover. I literally want to get there before Pentecost, which is how many days between? 50 days. You start adding the math, and you'll see why he's not going to stop at Ephesus, because it took him three days longer there to get to Troas, and then it says they abode there for seven days. Why would you wait in Troas if you're in a hurry? Okay, now think about the airline schedules. Let's say that I want to get from here to Brazil. I don't get to choose the time. Have you noticed that? They tell you when to show up. And there would have been a ship that would have went from Troas to Jerusalem, and that one wasn't going to go there for seven days. So now how much time is he using? There's 12 days right there. He's got 50 to work with. And he's taken him some time even from Philippi probably. And upon the first day of the week, ah, that ties in what we were just talking about, the Lord's Day. When the disciples came together to break bread. Now, what does that mean, to break bread? What is going on there? What's that term used? And I didn't look at any other versions, but to break bread in the King James would be what? The Lord's Supper. Supper. And they also had, because of the very condition of the church, there were some people that they called it an agape feast or a love feast. It would be like a potluck. They would have come together, and those that couldn't bring anything were not required to. They literally used the first week of the first day of the week or the, the Lord's Day as a day to have a feast for those that needed it. And then also, along with that, was the sense of communion, the Lord's Supper, breaking bread. So they came together. This is a worship service. It's described for us. They were breaking bread. And then guess what Paul did? He entertained them with a movie? No, he preached. He preached unto them. Uh, and, and the word is actually discussion. He would have started and then he was such a Q&A guy, right? In other words, when, you are, when you're, where you're learning truth, and this should be this way here as well. This is what I love about this small setting, is I have no problem whatsoever in you interrupting me. Because if there's something that we're not getting across, I want you to stop right there. I know enough from classes that I attended, even in my high school years, the best time was when I was able to raise my hand and ask a question, which I rarely did, because that would, I didn't want to know that badly, right? <laughs> but if you want to learn something, 
you have to be open to ask a question. And I, this, is, this is absolutely the way I was, and I'm sure you're the same way. When I'm ready to ask a question, I'm ready to learn. If I'm just, and you're just like, you know, there was actually, there was a little Sunday school, there was a Sunday school teacher, and she was taking the children back into the worship service. They were coming from Sunday school. And she said, now you know why you have to be quiet. One little girl goes, yeah, people are sleeping. <laughs> I love that one. Isn't that good? Don't be quiet, right? It's good. It's good stuff. Okay, at any rate, at any rate, I'm telling you what, I'm running around on rabbit trails right now. Isn't it fun, though? It's fun, right? It should be that way. But I'll tell you what, when you're, ready to, when you're ready to ask a question, you're ready to learn. I even tell it when I'm looking on the Internet and I'm searching something out. When I have another question, and there's a great, there's something you should write this down, gotquestions.com or whatever. Just type it in, gotquestions. It's about the Bible. If you have a question, you can type in your question, and it is really, really well-based. It is great. I try to enable all my young, you know, if you've got a question, get on, I've got questions, just ask it and you'll get a good answer. At any rate, when you're asking questions, you're ready to learn. And that's how my teaching always wants to come across. I want you to be asking questions inside. And then hopefully, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is leading us to be able to answer those. But if not, it's okay. Paul led a service much the same way. It was a Q&A. It was a discussion that lasted in this case. Are you ready? Now you're saying, do you, did he really preach from like 10 in the morning on the Lord's Day all the way to midnight? No, 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 no. A thousand times no. Because guess what happens on a Sunday if you're living in the Roman Empire? It was just another day to go to work. It was just another day to go to work. Why do you think Eutychus fell out of the three stories high? He's tired. He's tired. And it does say, the words that's used there, it was, it was slowly, it was, and you've done this, haven't you? Right? You're, you're slowly falling asleep. That's exactly what's used in the terminology for Eutychus. He was falling asleep. Now, the other thing, it says, I'm jumping ahead, you've noticed. But we're there, we're at Eutychus. He fell out of the window. How many lights were burning in there? Why would you say that? Did you see it in the text? Many lights were in the upper room. Several things point out to me is everyone was welcome. There's lights. Anybody can come in here. And that would look a little different in the middle of the night. You know what you usually did at night? You went to bed. These guys were studying the Word of God. They were discussing, and he was teaching. He was exhorting. He was encouraging. But guess what? This isn't like LED lights. They're not like the lights that we have here. What kind of lights would they have been? And what do lamps do? What do they burn? oil. Can you imagine what that would have been like at the upper room with all of these lights burning? The smoke? Right? The heat? Right? Right? Why do you think Eutychus was on the windowsill? Because he was a smart lad. <laughs> That's exactly right. And it was probably just perfect to where he fell asleep and fell three stories down. We'll keep trying to push. <laughs> no, we're going to keep you guys on the first floor because we know what happens to you if you fall asleep, right? <laughs> now, actually, uh, actually, Charles Spurgeon said this. <laughs> he says, don't fall asleep because Paul's not here to resurrect you from the dead. <laughs> at, at any rate. Okay, now I've got to come back where my bunny trail took me back from. Uh, bump, bump, bump. We, we're still traveling, right? Oh, yeah, we're breaking bread. He's preaching. Now, here's another thing. This is, this is under availability. How many times have you heard this? And even myself, I'm bushed, I'm beat. 
and tomorrow I'm going to leave for Troas to get on a ship, and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. So here, I tell you what, man, it has been fun visiting with you guys. I need to go to bed. I need to get some rest. Not Paul. He's still, he's, he is going full bore at midnight. Now, what time do they gather there? I'm going to say it would probably been, again, probably in the evening, okay? In the evening. This is the first Sunday night service. <laughs> no, I don't know that. But isn't it, isn't it great, though? And it was a long one. He's into midnight. And then we know Eutychus fell out the window. Now, that'll bring it to a bit of a halt. Now, the other thing I want to point out, <clears throat> this is something that, again, keep this in mind, the sovereignty of God. He let Paul know that there was a plot in his life, so he did not go to Jerusalem from Sincrea. Paul says, you know what? That does sound a little rough. They could pitch me overboard. They could kill me. Let's not do that. Let's just go back and re let's visit. Let's, let's get some stuff figured out. Let's go back and, you know, disciple. Let's exhort. You can tell that's what his love is to teach people he loves. And he gets to Troas. Now, how much time had been spent in Troas? Very little. Very little. I'm sure that the circulation of who's going to be speaking, there's this Paul guy. I don't, you guys, yeah, let's go listen to him. But you know what they would have known about? Could they trust him? I'm sure there were those that were there with questions that really didn't know if they could believe him. He had, they hadn't been there long enough. This is the night before he leaves. Yeah, he's been there seven days, but you get the idea. What are you going to learn about a guy in seven days? And he, was he teaching every day? Probably not. But this night, just the night before he's going to go, he's Why? Because it's the Lord's Day. Isn't this fun? The upper room on the Lord's Day. We meet at night because we can't meet in the daytime because people are working. And we have a love feast. We have a communion reverting back to the love we have for Jesus Christ and we start preaching and teaching and question and answers and discussing and all of this. What would happen if Eutychus fell out of the window and he's dead? There's no question. Don't make him not dead. He is dead. There are those that want to make him. Well, he was just knocked out. No, he was dead. And that says that Paul embraced him. He put his arms around him just like Elijah and, Eli Elisha and Elijah. And he says life is in him. God granted a resurrection right there. Now, if you don't think the rest of the evening was enlightening and listening to Paul preaching was fun, you better think again. Here's Paul. Do you think he's exhausted at midnight? Of course he is. He does a resurrection, and then he preaches till the break of day, the morning. And then it gets better. I can't stand it. I can't understand really it. The rest of the team gets on the ship at Troas the next morning and takes off to Assos, which is probably a 30-mile-by-ship route. Paul didn't go because he wanted to walk to Assos, which is 20 miles. Why do you think that is? It's not spoken to us. I can tell you because he wasn't done teaching. He says, why don't you guys walk with me? Let's, let, well, I'm going. I got to go. I got to go because I got to meet the ship at Assos. But let's visit. Let's keep walking and talking and preaching and teaching. Unbelievable. Is that availability? I'm going to say something right now. I really do try to be as available as I can, but I'm going to say something right now. There is no way I can match what Paul the Apostle did. No way. And you know why? Because I'm not that committed to be passionate, passionate to love the people of God. I, I'm just going to be honest. Paul had no reason outside of love for the church to do that. Are you kidding me? 
How many of you walk 20 miles in a day? Okay, there's marathoners out there somewhere, but at the same time, I remember at night one time, this is a Mile City story, and the ranch we had leased, there was about 50, 87 sections, 56,000 acres. And at the north end of the ranch, at the camp, there was a, what we called the North Camp, there was, a, there was a, a windmill there, and in the summertime, obviously, you know, you could have windless days, and so, and I have no idea why my mother and my father and I took a car and drove up to look at this windmill about sundown to see if it was working. I have no idea why we used that, but we did. It was a nice, quiet, beautiful, beautiful evening. And we had gas along, because we, we had a pump jack there, and if, if there was no wind and the tank was down, you just filled the tank with gas and then the pump jack would run, right? I mean, not hard, nothing difficult about this. And we were just enjoying, the, there was the cows there and the windmill was not working, but we put some gas in it. And I still remember the tranquility of that night. And it's, it's dark, it's just now dark. And we say, it's about 14 miles now from that place through the back of the ranch back to headquarters. And I will never forget the sound. I'm driving. Dad gets in. Mom gets in. Click, 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 click. <laughs> I'll tell you what was in God's plan. It was us to walk, right? And I remember that night walking 14 miles. And my mom and dad, they made it probably five or six. And then I brought a vehicle back and picked him up. But I won't ever forget that because it helps me understand here's a man that walked 20 miles after he had preached from the evening all the way to the, to the next morning and has a, res a resurrection in between. That's a man. That's a man that sacrificed and gave himself. If these words don't typify what that man is, then I don't know what to say. Was he a Jesus? You better believe he was Jesus. He was Jesus to every one of those churches. He was Jesus. And that's literally, he's asking us in the epistles, follow me. That's what Paul said. And until you see what's in between the words. Did you think those sentences were that robust, that full? I didn't either. I read it and I said, what do you want me to do with that? <laughs> Got names I can't pronounce, places I don't know. But you know what? It's loaded. It's loaded. 1 Corinthians 13 is not the only chapter in the Bible about love. I'm going to direct people now to Acts chapter 20. I want them to see the love of Jesus Christ in Paul that literally changed the world. Isn't that exciting? That's the same God. He's not, not a different God. See, something, oh, that was then. That was the old days. You can't do that anymore. Yes, you can because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our nation has changed for what looks like we won't get back to it, but I'll tell you what, it's just as possible. I still think of this. As bad as our nation has become, as abhorrent it is to must be to God to think that we're killing our unborn. We don't even know what sex we are. We're taking young lads, five and six-year-olds, and trying to change their bodies. It's, it, it, it makes me want to cry. What does it do to God? What does it do to God? What would Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I would like you to study that man. Get, get into that guy's work. There's a man by the name of Eric uh, Metaxas that wrote a book. I'm just starting on it right now. 
Bonhoeffer was the one in the face of Nazism that got in the face in 1932 and gave a sermon in front of everybody and basically said, we need to understand what's going on over here. And three weeks before the war ended, he was hung. That's a man that gave everything to God. He would be very much of what I would call a Paul before his time. We are living in a crisis in this country. We are living in a crisis. But I'm enamored by this. As Jonah would have wandered through the city of Nineveh, 600,000 people lived in that city. And they were set for destruction. And the king, the leader of that city, repented. And God was glad to see it. That's what I'm praying for this nation. But it'll take you and me to be a Jesus, to be a Paul, to be committed to doing what's right and true. Not in our own power. Don't try that. If you think Paul did that in his own power, you missed it. You need to read another passage of Scripture where he was given the thorn in the flesh and he prayed three times and it was actually literally a thorn from Satan to buffet me, to keep me humble. But he said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It'll be the same for you. When you're weak, if you're in Jesus, that's when you're strong. These are powerful words. Those 17 verses to me just exploded this week. They exploded. I hope they did the same for you. Let's pray. Father God, you are still God. Jesus is still Savior. The Holy Spirit is still fully and completely a comforter of God that directs us and uses the Word of God to encourage us, to enlighten us, showing the love of the Father. Thank you for these words. Boy, there's a lot here. You could have stretched us in another couple of books, a couple of chapters at the least, and yet it's so full of what shows us as Paul loving the church. Not the building, the church, the people, the body that Jesus Christ gave his life for to redeem. Paul gave his life to serve. Father, give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the understanding, the wisdom, whatever else we need to be able to see what it means to love the body. Thank you for Paul's availability, for his persistence, for his, his giving mentality of using other churches to solidify and to unify all in one body. And then his love for exhortation. But not only the gift of exhortation, but the people he exhorted. Father, may you instill those things within us. Take us and use us. Change us. May you be glorified, and bless us. In Christ's name, amen.